Hey, thanks for downloading our podcast, This American Horror Story. This is our review for the fifth episode of season four of American Horror Story. It's called Pink Cupcakes. And this one's kind of a long one again. So tuck in and here we go. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am here uh, with my co-host, Chris Husted. I am Tyler Moss. Chris, how are you doing? <laughs> Uh-oh, tonight's a little sloppy. I am Chris Husted, and this is my host, co-host, Tyler Moss. How are you doing? We are actually recording for once. <laughs> On the correct night of the week, um, directly after the show. It was a, uh interesting show. There is a lot to talk about. Um, a lot of blood. A lot of blood in this episode, wouldn't you say? Uh, <laughs> yes. A lot of blood from a few different places. Ew, yeah, ew. <laughs> and, and we will get into all of that. Um as always, before we begin, we always want to thank you guys for hanging out with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash This American Horror Story. Uh, also, checking in with us you know, via email at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. We love your questions. We love your comments. We respond to as many as we can. I think you know, well, we at least you know, we try to, if we remember. And um, we always appreciate yeah. your, your reviews and your ratings on iTunes. That is the bomb. Um, now that it, we're That's recording in the, the evening, bomb. it is... And I'm going to use early 2000s slang. <laughs> Since we are recording in the evening, what are you, what are you drinking, my friend? We can finally say that again, and it won't be coffee or I know. Yeah, water. Uh, this is I, I actually have two drinks tonight. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I'm finishing up a Sierra Nevada. Nice. From Chico, back in the NorCal area, mm-hmm. and then I also have a I, right after that I have a Four Roses neat ready to go. Ooh, some bourbon. Yeah. yeah. What do you got? I'm returning to my American Horror Story roots, and I have my first uh, bourbon and cider of the season. Bourbon and cider? Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. You turned me on to that, man. Like, I, I do that now, and it's delicious. When you're in the fall, I mean, it, it just feels right. Yep. Hey, what did you dress up for Halloween as? I was actually driving to Nashville the evening of, so I did not dress up because I was in a car, but I did dress my dog up as a female genie, and she had a little face mask thing that covered, like a veil that covered her nose, and genie pants that went over her legs and everything, and she loved it. Was she a slutty genie? She Oh, she was such a slutty genie. She was the slutty, <laughs> she went as the sluttiest genie. <laughs> I think you should tell everybody what you were for Halloween, because it was awesome. Uh, I tried really hard, but you know the song by Megan Trainer, "All About That Bass." Mm-hmm. So I dressed up in my my waders with my fishing pole and my fishing vest and a hat that said bass and I and a bow on the top, and I was all about that bass. <laughs> I think that is incredibly clever. Thank you. I had to explain it about five times, and then eventually I gave up, took the bow off, and just said, "You know, what? I'm a fisherman." Oh, that's disappointing. I would have gotten it. <laughs> that was about five fireball shots later. I was like, I don't care anymore. Well, at that point, it was probably no one. You weren't gonna. No one was gonna understand it at that point. The evening was too far lost. True that. Well, now at this point, um, we're gonna talk about some pink cupcakes because that is the pink cupcakes. The name of this episode, um, and I feel like there might be a little bit of implication in that title uh, beyond. The obvious, uh, but we'll get there. Man, uh, so I guess let's dive right into the intro, and I want to hear your first impressions. So All right. we're back at the American Morbidity Museum, and they're having this big gala. Now, we did find out from um, a post on our Facebook wall that the American Morbidity Museum is a real a real thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> for some reason, I, want to f- I feel like it's in Pennsylvania, like Philly or something like that. Um, I'll have to look that back up and make sure I'm, I'm right. But it's a real thing. It really exists. And uh, this, as we'll remember that this is where uh, Dennis O'Hare's character and Emma Roberts' character tried to sell the museum 
like it was like a cat with a jaw sewn on it or like something. Some bootlegged, yeah. Some like fake freak cat. thing, and that's why they were, you know, they're tracking down the freak show. And um, we, you know, Emma Roberts and Dennis O'Hare, so Esmeralda and um, Stanley. Stanley are in the audience, and we see them do this big unveil of the new, um, of the new. Uh, Display like the new display, and it is Paul the Illustrated Seal from the Freak Show. Right now, at this point, did you? I want to know. Did you? I was. Did you think that this was all his fantasy, or were you thinking that like they already were stealing freaks away? I thought this when I first saw. It, I was like, oh shit, this is a flash forward, a la Lost, or a la. Um, this or all American Horror Story, and this is what's going to be happening in the future, and I was really sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, on, well, well, we'll stop there. At this point, I thought it was definitely a flash forward, and this actually happened, and I got real sad that they're pulling it off. What did you think? I definitely, um, I, I had a feeling that it was like a dream sequence. I felt like we would have needed like a more of a. Well, it's not a dream sequence. I guess it's just him, like, fantasizing. A fantasy. If, if, you know, t- t- talking about Tesmerald about what he's fantasizing about or whatever. But I felt like we needed a bigger send-off for Paul the Illustrated Seal than just... But I guess that the, I guess we could have came back and, like, talked about how they abducted him and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it, it, yeah, I didn't necessarily think that we were at this point yet because it just seemed like that all happened too fast. You know, he... We're only at episode five. And he's really just arrived, you know, so... Yeah, we're only just kind of getting into things now. Now... Um, a couple important things to note in this scene. Uh, Esmeralda seems like she's a little bit iffy about whether or not she's in on this whole murdering the freaks and taking them back deal. Do you think she's sold on it? She kind of makes it sound as if the reason she's not is because she's not comfortable with the freaks. But, it, it, you know, at the same time, we think that maybe she likes, you know, maybe she's growing to like them. What are your thoughts on this? Obviously, I think we, we know at this point that she has feelings for Jimmy in a sense. She's wrestling with them. But I also think through Jimmy, she is starting to understand more about these people in general and have a little more uh, empathy empathy for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also have uh, Stanley drop his magazines on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we and their nudie magazines. I think they're nudie magazines of men. Um, or maybe they're just I didn't or maybe they're just like yeah. muscle magazines of some kind but basically they're the implication is that these are magazines that impl- or that reveal that he is and that he is gay which we know from gay yeah last episode of the episode before um right and you know Esmeralda comments about how like you better be careful about those because they're not down here in Jupiter they're not so keen on or they're not very um tolerant of the or the gay population homosexual life yeah. lifestyle right <laughs> and so i okay i what why did you think that they were they had this in the opening scene like why did they make this a uh, 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 so cuz we already knew that stanley was gay because of his interactions with the guy dressed as like an or, or like a viking <laughs> thor yeah so why do you think that they did this in the in the intro here I didn't at the point at, at, at the point when it happens. I didn't really know. I assumed it was just you know okay. We're hammering this in. Got it. He's gay. He's probably gonna have to deal with something dealing with his uh, with his sexuality at some point. But obviously later in the episode we find that maybe he's not the only character dealing with this. So it's setting up for the whole uh, prejudice against different sexuality uh, um, dispositions. Is that something? Uh, yeah. I, I think you're I think you're definitely right there. And I kind of, you know, there's a literary device known as um, Chekhov's gun, I believe, right? Chekhov's gun. Yes, Chekhov's gun. And the theory is... Oof, the theory is Sorry. that's okay. The theory, I'll mute that. The th- Chris just blew his nose. That's what we're referring to. <laughs> um, the theory of Chekhov's gun is that in a play, if on in Act One there is a gun on the mantle, and you know the character notices a gun on the mantle, then by Act Three the gun will go off. So basically, it's like you're identifying if you're going to identify something in you know a play or a movie, or if you're going to like. There's a reason for everything, basically, is the point behind it. And so I was thinking about this a little bit, and I definitely think that these mag- like 
the implication here is that like maybe I don't know maybe he is trying to seduce Elsa or something like that, and that's how they find out that like maybe he's not really who he see who he says he is because you know they realize that he's not necessarily into women. But um, I don't know. I f- it does feel like a little bit like a Chekhov's gun to me. Um, and then of course, yeah, that sounds right. So that's a theory to begin with, and then we kind of end the intro credit sequence with uh, Gloria finding Dora's dead body on the floor down in the living room, which is apparently sat there all night because I'm pretty sure that Dandy killed her in the evening. So it's just been sitting down there stinking all evening. And um, can I ask you about this scene? Yes, please do. So, so obviously she, she walks in and she's completely disturbed and freaked out and doesn't know, you know, she seems like she's out of, out of her mind and what's going on. Oh my gosh. What's, you know, what's going on she's dead and then within about three or four seconds she immediately when dandy walks in and says something like what did you do why did you do this like she knows it's him she knows it's him that i love how quickly that moved but i want to ask you what do you think that means about gloria and dandy's relationship well clearly i mean we saw some foreshadowing that maybe uh, implied that she was suspicious of him before when Dora brought up the cats being murdered behind the shed, which I think is maybe it, it began her suspicion. Obviously, and I'm sure she's not an idiot. It appears she's just very, um, you know, in denial about how crazy her son is. But she, right. I, I have to believe that she noticed the tension between Dora and Dandy uh, leading up to this. Um, it also. You know, well, doesn't she say like she was your mother or something like that? Does she say that? Does she, I, I think she, she says something like that. Well, I mean, it seems like that was the case. Is that basically a nanny's raised dandy? Excuse me, which is kind right. of yeah. We'll hear that later. Yeah, which is kind of I mean interesting too that he would kill his his mother figure. Um, but I think that probably he kill if he's killing his mother figure, it's him lashing out on the fact that his real mother didn't. Um, didn't you know provide enough nurture, nurturing, or something like that, which seems to be, I, I think, an issue we'll see going forward, especially with uh, Gloria's phone call later on. Um, and of course, the other thing I think that we need to think about here about their relationship is the other reason she suspects him so quickly. I think is because clearly there's a precedent for this. We don't know the full story, but uh, Dandy's father apparently was um, not the best guy. Right, Dandy's daddy. <laughs> daddy dandy and so daddy dandy daddy dandy so we'll, i'm sure we'll find out uh what exactly happened to him coming up um so i kind of took the rest of the episode and divided it into three separate strings so that way we don't have to be jumping all over the place so i kind of want to follow okay. while we're on the dandy storyline let's go ahead and follow that now and we'll kind of come back to the other two sound good all right okay yep and so um I loved the fact that Dandy, yeah, Dandy tries to pretend that someone else did it, and then so unconvinced. Oh my gosh, yeah. he was hilarious. And then when he walks away, he pretends his face. He, he yeah, he pretends to be sad for a second, and then just starts grinning. And so yeah, he's clearly entered full sociopath as we see as things continue. Yep. Um, and Gloria is going to be an enabler, obviously, mm-hmm. as uh, she hires the gardeners to come to dig the ridiculously deep grave. Like 12 feet deep. <laughs> it was crazy. And she tells the gardeners when they're complaining about digging so deep that they're special bulbs from Holland and not to question her. She, again, <laughs> just like she was in Coven, is a kind of a humorous character. It's like... Yeah, this caricature of someone that you would think. Yeah, a source of humor, which I think is, is awesome because she does a, a great job at it. She's, I think she's managed to be hilarious. And, right. and so I love that scene. I did, I did think when, she, when they were digging the, it's so deep, I, my mind immediately went to, I don't know if you ever saw it, but on HBO, she was on Six Feet Under. Mm-hmm. Yes. She was the mom in Six Feet Under. Yeah, and, and it wasn't even six feet under it was like 12 feet under and there's a joke in there somewhere but i couldn't come up with it no i'm definitely drawing definitely drawing parallels for sure i actually <laughs> later on i'm gonna draw a parallel to dexter which i think you're gonna fit you see that well that one's pretty obvious but we'll talk about it when we get there too um all right so i like how after that they're like growing the garden and how danny's like trying to convince his mother that like it's all for the best because dora's just going to be her grave's just going to be a beautiful garden in our backyard and all this stuff <laughs> and, it's, and then they get into the conversation about dandy's father 
and how you know she says she doesn't want him to end up like his father, but that there's a precedent for it. It's a disease of the affluent because of inbreeding. Um, so apparently to keep money away or keep you know families from being divided and money going into dirty or unworthy hands, she, she basically admits that their family has a history family. of inbreeding. Um, which is kind of interesting to think about because in many ways, you know, back then, I think one of our, I mean, that's how a lot of deformities and stuff came in through birth. So it kind of fits into the whole freak show theme. Um, I don't know if... uh, Right. We don't really, I mean, when we're talking about freaks, we maybe kind of forget about that there's a lot of deformities in the mind Mm -hmm, that's true yeah and being a a psychological freak might end up actually being uh worse than or or more um more more dangerous and more um hard to hard to deal with and sometimes than yeah than a physical deformity um i love that we had a, a facebook comment after this, like right immediately after it happened, like during the commercial break, that Dandy is a Targaryen, which for those of you who watch Game of Thrones, you'll totally get that joke because all the the Targaryens inbred for thousands of years or whatever. Although they look pretty darn yeah. good for having inbred. Uh, yeah, beautiful family. The Khaleesi is pretty smoking. But um, <laughs> I thought that was a funny allusion too. Um, so anyway, they're talking about the father and Dandy says that, you know, none of this would have happened if mother had let him be an actor. Uh but and then Glory mentions something about how she doesn't want Dandy to be like his daddy, or or maybe Dandy says something about this swinging. He doesn't want to be like his dad swinging lifeless on a tree or something like that. Yeah, so like the maple tree, or right? Japanese maple or something. Yes. Like so, what do you make of this? What are we trying? What are we kind of trying to unpuzzle and infer from this conversation? What did Dandy? What does Dandy's dad do? Um, is he dead? How did he meet? Like, why did? What happened to him that he's dangling from a tree? I think Dandy's dad was strung up. That's what I kind of took from it, and that, or, or you know, it's the whole apples and far from the fall far from the tree story. But he, his dad, definitely was messed up and did some terrible things, and obviously that's kind of what Glory's thinking, right? It sounds, yeah, I would agree with you too. It, it, um, my guess was it sounds like he has some sort of murderous history too. Um, and that maybe he got strung up by a lynch mob or something like that. So right, I, that's what I was thinking. I, I think we're supposed to believe he's dead. Although Dandy's right. father, this could, coming back, could be an interesting uh, new terrible murderer. But maybe we don't need that if Dandy's becoming this murderer anyway. Um, speaking of which, we get kind of Dandy's. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and call it his his Rocky Balboa scene where he's in his underwear and like working out. <laughs> yep. Um, and doing push-ups and like dandy's fit we didn't like we didn't know and we talked that he needed to be physically tough to be intimidating and holy crap he's actually like kind of ripped he's in good shape i don't know if i'd say he's still intimidating yet but he's definitely in good shape uh i also like that in between push-ups and stuff like that he practices his faces in the mirror (laughs) yeah that that was a good good little model it reminded me of um american psycho Mm -hmm. yeah what do you think about his comment that, like, if he had that dramatic venue to express himself through through the theater, then he wouldn't be a killer? I don't know. That's that's hard. To, that's I think he's still a sociopath, so it's hard to say that if that if he had a stage, he would be okay and he wouldn't be killing people. But I still think he'd I think yeah, clearly he's volatile. So I think that he would just be killing people backstage, like when he didn't get the starring mm-hmm. role, he'd be like breaking castmates' legs literally, so that way he could get on stage and stuff like that. We've seen those movies. Oh yeah. Um, he, interesting comments from him here. He talks about how his body holds a heart that cannot love, um, and that he felt that when he killed Dora. Um, so he's very self-aware of the fact that he is a sociopath, which is interesting, but it doesn't seem to bother him a whole lot. Um, and then he, about Twisty, he says, the clown was put on Earth to show me the way. So I guess he sees himself more as a descendant of a Twisty than of... Interesting that, like, his father was a murderer, he's but perfect. it's... perfect. Yeah, but that Twisty is kind of going to be his, his role model. Um, so he ends up going to the gay bar... And on the wall, he sees his. his I wonder. I wanted to ask you this: Why does he go to a gay bar? You know, I wonder if he was thinking. You know, 
if he kills somebody from the gay bar um, because they're already so discreet there and stuff like that, and people don't want to talk about having been there, they're, you're not going to have as many witnesses for a murder or something like people, You know, they're not going to come around there and you know they're talking about how there's all these like politicians and lawyers and prominent people in the community are secretly going to this bar. So the pl- if the police come around, these guys aren't going to want to testify and admit that they've been at the bar, oh, right? Oh, and it, and that's maybe why we had the reference early on from. Um, uh, Stanley dropping the the muscle mags, and these people are gonna be want to stay hidden regardless. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, this also reminds me. You bring up the politicians and stuff. Is when Gloria um, is talking to Dandy and like bring, when we're talking about the father, uh-huh. and she says, you know, oh this is this is an affluent problem. This is like a rich people problem, and she says, uh, I wrote it down. Uh, Jack Jack the Ripper was a Windsor for God's sake. Like <laughs> only Francis Conroy can deliver that line so perfectly. It's so great. It, she delivered a number of excellent lines. This she's really good at the one-liners, just like she was in last season too. Oh yeah, in Coven. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so Dandy goes to the gay bar, and now it makes sense to me because these people at this time in history want to, you know, stay hidden. And, of course, this is where we run into Dell, and we kind of shift the story here. And I like how these two stories kind of converged. That was surprising. Yeah. Um, it, but it fit well into the whole plot of everything. And so, um, yeah, yeah we, we run into Dell here, and we kind of transition into his story for a minute. Obviously, he's been missing from the freak show, and we find out that this is where he has been. Yeah, so did it? So you said it was surprising to you to see Dell here. Um, yeah. Why, why I, did you find it surprising? I, I mean, well, we didn't see really, we didn't see Dell last episode, if I recall. You know, he he was missing, and they were trying to find him to do the show earlier, and he was gone. So I, I you know, he's had his fights with Desiree, um, Angela Bassett's character. So I didn't know where he was or what he was doing, but I did. The the last thing I suspected, to be honest, was that he would be at a gay bar in love with another man. The I agree. Our dear friend Matt Bomer. Right, and so. I agree with you that the I think that the most kind of astonishing part of this was him being so vulnerable and confessing his love here. Um, he was in tears. In some, I mean, obviously, in some ways, it's not all that surprising that he right is there because we do know that part of the reason he's attracted to Desiree is because what does she call she it? Has a winky. Her winky is because of because she has both male and female parts. So he thinks, and so that's the reason that he. Uh, is attracted to her. One of the reasons he's attracted to her in the first place, and so it, I mean, it, it, natural progression. It's not that far fetched to, to realize that you know he is a secretly gay. attracted to men, maybe right, or or he's just pansexual and he loves all things. True, um, and maybe he just happens to be in love specifically with. Matt Bomer's character, um, who, of course, right. is from that series on USA called White Collar. White Collar. Um, and he was also, he was in, also in the HBO, yeah. Uh, what was the, the Normal Heart in 2014, mm-hmm. too, which won a bunch of awards, Great. I think. And also uh, Magic Mike. Right, so he's been, I mean, and he, so he's worked with... He's around. And, he, and Ryan Murphy, I think, directed that um, HBO the Normal Heart movie. And so he's worked with Ryan Murphy before, so it kind of makes sense that he would follow. Um, so he's here in the bar, and yeah, this is a very personal conversation. Probably one of the most beautiful, handsome men we've ever seen. Yes, he is very, um, clearly in good shape and very uh, clean-cut, and Dell is clearly very in love with him, um, to the point where... You know, we hear their conversation, and Dell is very possessive of him. Um, we learn that they—that's yeah. this is where Dell has been for a long time. They've been seeing each other, and it, at first, it's only an implication, and soon we realize that you know, um, Andy, which is his character's name, is a gigolo, and that he is in that bar because people are paying him to um, two dollars for a dance, five dollars for a kiss, like go in the alley or go back to the house. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So my question for you is... <laughs> Prices were so cheap back then. Is Dell paying for all this, or is Andy have feelings for Dell too? I think Dell was paying for it and then developed feelings. That's 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 what I got. I think that's how it started. Do you think that at this point Andy had feelings for Dell? Mm, no. I mean, he seemed... It, some of the things he said made me wonder. He seemed to care. Because right? he was like, you know, and Dell was saying, like, I, you know, I'm going to leave with you and I want to get you... And he was... It seemed like... 
he got angry for a minute and he was like, you know, you say all this stuff, but then you go talk about your wife and you go back home and everything like that. And, you know, I'm just here by myself. I'm, this, is, this is all I could, the only thing I can do to make money, basically. So I think he might. Right. I think he might have had feelings for Dell, but it was kind of like, what am I supposed to do? You're not leaving your right. wife anytime soon. And so this is the life yeah, I have to live. with your wife. It kind of reminded me of the parallels of, um, oh crap, Kathy Bates' character. What's Ethel? Ethel, thank you. Ethel, when he exploited Ethel, he's like, "You're, you're the only way out of here is with me. I can do this for you." It, 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 I, you know, this is just Dell's possess, possessive nature coming through again. It seems to be a pattern for him, clearly. Yeah. And um, I, another thing that I think Andy kind of seems to hold against Dell is the fact that he won't come out of the closet because mm. you know he's saying you don't have anything to lose. All these other guys hold prominent positions in the community that they're going to um, be. Essentially, people are going to have prejudice against them then, um, right? Or discriminate against them. But you're already a freak at the freak show, and Dell gets kind of haughty about this, and uh, maybe because his his freakish abilities are not clearly visible that he's so that he's sensitive about it, or maybe because his freakish abilities are so associated with being a manly man. Um, for one reason, right. so why, I was going to ask um, you, why do you think that Dell can't come out of the closet? Well, I, I think you just hit it right there on the head, and this is quite the uh, metaphor for a lot of masculine men that maybe are gay, that they feel like they can't come out of the closet or they can't be gay because ma- uh, homosexuality is so affiliated with or associated with being femi- effeminate. Uh-huh. And especially at this time. Spectrum, Probably especially, especially in, this, in that time. Yeah, right in the 1950s. Exactly. And so yeah, now it's a whole different story. And so I was going to ask you, what is them? Dell goes kind of when um, when Andy asks him about this. Dell goes into this whole speech about pain and like holding in pain. So what was the the point of his pain speech here? I don't. It's your turn. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I guess that he was saying that maybe like holding in the pain is like holding in his feelings that he doesn't want to express. Maybe I was, I, you know, that's extrapolating a little bit. But I was, I'm trying to think of what it could be. It reminds me of the bully that is gay that makes fun of the gay kids, right. but is gay, and then just because he feels like he has to, and that that just like screws with them inside uh, internally. Yeah, and he kind of talks about how like he feels, you know, he does feel the pain, but he can just handle it or something like that. So it's like, I mean, it, it, he's talking about basically feeling, having feelings that he hides from the rest of the world, and so it, it, you know, it definitely is making the allusion to um, being gay, right. In a, a anti-gay society, right, right, and so um, Dell kind of angrily leaves um, after Andy says, "You know, I'm, I'm." Andy's coming, and when he says, "Like when I'm here, I'm working," do you get it? Is basically it felt like it was he was saying to Dell, "Like I'm just working." You know, this is my job. Even yeah. with you, this is just my job. And so Dell is clearly kind of hurt by that. And it's like falling in love with a stripper, right. Or a dancer, if it's censored. Or a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so anyway, um, Dell leaves, and Dandy walks up to Andy's table, and that's when we kind of learn about all his, his fees. And Andy's like, hey. And clearly Dandy gives him a little tip and drops a full hundred, because he leads Dandy and Andy. And Dandy leads Andy into the woods. Um... Into Twisty's van. To a trailer. And, it, and, it, <laughs> yeah. and it's Twisty's exact same van. So the police apparently didn't even collect it as evidence or anything. They just left this horrifying... Yeah, that's weird. ...creepy van in the woods. Um, which you think that Dandy would want to be a little bit more careful instead of like revisiting the scene of the original crime. But hey, he's, uh, he's just learning now. So he takes uh, Andy back to Twisty's van. And they have a really awkward interaction. Um... Where Andy tries to kiss Dandy and he pushes him away and says how he's not a fruit. Um, <laughs> and then he wants, Dandy says that he wants them both to take off their, turn around, take off their clothes, and then let the magic happen. Right. Well, describe them. Well, okay. First of all, I want to say, interesting line here. When they're turned around, Andy starts complimenting Dandy on his body or whatever. Uh, and he says, mm-hmm. you know, oh, and a thing to also note about Andy, as we see back in the bar is that he is an artist. He's a, he draws pictures of people. And so Andy right. wants to, uh, or he thinks he says something about wanting to paint, um, Danny, uh, like Pic- it, it, as a cubist, just like, like Picasso. Picasso. And it was making you think when Picasso draws a picture, you know, in cubism, Sorry. yes, it's like all the body parts kind of like 
chopped and mangled apart yeah. in different parts. And that's is that what you, were you thinking that too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I totally. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking. So, I was like, oh boy, this is what's going to happen. Foreshadowing is totally what I thought at that point. Um, and so they turn around, and Dandy is wearing. The ma- the face gross gnarly smile mask. Yeah, which apparently he just keeps in his pocket or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I hope he washed it better now, but it still looks pretty dirty. Um, Twisty's disgusting mask. And Dandy stabs him repeatedly, uh, just as Twisty did. Um, Good lord, this was graphic. It was really graphic. And this is when I, like, he, he's trying to be really logical about it. And this is what, what I thought was the Dexter kind of um, illusion here is we have, like, the, the voice, like, the voiceover narration here, too. And it's like, here are the good, here are the rules of being a, you know, being a mass murderer. First, you have to make sure the body's never found. And then he, like, saws off his arm and puts it in the acid and stuff like that. Um, yep. And it's just so bloody, so gory. And then it. Well, we get this, like, almost comical thing where, like, Andy keeps, like, waking back up. <laughs> yeah, like, why won't you die? <laughs> it's just, like, super disturbing. He, like, pulls out a bone saw or something, and Andy's just like, kill me. And so he starts sawing at him. And what was the point of that? Why did you think they kept Andy alive? I don't know. I think, I mean, I, I think it's Dandy trying to understand what it takes to kill someone, possibly. That it's not just a... I mean, obviously, for Dora, it was a slit to the throat, but if you're stabbing someone, they're not going to die always immediately, mm-hmm. I guess. And that's what he's going to have to deal with. But he, obviously, we see how he uh, reacts to it, which is like, like a kid, like, just die. Mm-hmm. Not like, he, he never wrestles with, like, oh shit, should I be doing this? Right. He's like, why isn't this working? Or, yeah, come on. <laughs> just die already so I can finish dissolving your body yeah. in this bad Poor Matt Bomer. Yeah, and so I, you know, maybe part of it too is like it's you know you have a little bit of a juxtaposition here of you know him kind of with the Dexter illusion trying to be real logical about like these are the rules for being a serial killer and here he is like botching his serial killing <laughs> so like and he keeps waking up and like it is such a messy process. It's I have a question for you about this yeah, too. Sure. Why did why why are they doing this in their underwear? Is that just to appease the people who want to see some skin? Maybe, maybe, possibly, but I think that. I mean, I mean, we, well, we, I think we, we all, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of skin in American Horror Story. Let's be honest. There is, but I think that also you have to think that Dandy, his speech. Let's harken back to his speech that he gave in his room about like being a specimen of physical perfection, and so maybe True. it was like being this, you know, being the more dominant physical specimen in this particular case after he's gone through all that effort to like build up his body, you know. Right, and he found probably, I'm guessing, with Matt Bomer, Andy, the most handsome person in the bar who maybe rivals him physically. Right, and he kills him. And so, uh, Matt Bomer, is is that the end of him? Was it just this one little, ro- like, uh, That was it, that was you it. You think he's gone? Yeah. I remember reading about it, and it, was, and it was supposed to be his one cameo, and he gets brutally murdered it was it was a cameo all right he was in and then he was very out um yeah so that was gruesome that was really fucking gruesome yeah uh and so back at the house regina gabre sidibe who played patty La- Dora, patty labelle's daughter um calls it calls gloria and is, is looking for her mother um, we learned that she's attending secretary school in New York City and that they have a weekly call and that Dora missed their weekly call this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gloria quickly makes some excuses and says that Dora's too busy to call because, I don't remember, she said it was like a busy season of some kind and like she wouldn't be able to call That's for a couple months. vegetables or like, it's like, a, she, like she won't talk to you for a month. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. And Regina's like, uh, no, that's not going to happen. You're going to have her call me when she gets home. Um, but then Gloria has this odd moment where she, she says to Regina, you and, and Dandy played together as children. Um, what do you remember of, of my role as a mother? And Regina's response is interesting, which is basically, I don't remember you being a mother at all. You were absent. You were not there. It was the nannies that nannies. took care of, of dandy and even though he bit them um it, <laughs> yeah. it was dandy that took care of him and you know gloria kind of remembers the um you know some time when like dandy was sick or something like that and he was calling out to her and she sent the governess in instead of going in herself and we kind of 
I, I, the way it's kind of building it up is essentially, you know, is Dandy's nature... Um, be, or nurture. Well, definitely nature and nurture. Well, I, I guess it is nature and nurture for sure, because the nature argument is, is he, does he, is it his, Her, is his, it his father. father, the genetics of his father, or is it nurture or being, lack of nurture from his mother? Which is actually, na- right. nature versus nurture is, again, a very common thread we've had in past American Horror Story seasons. Absolutely. Especially, and uh, especially when it comes to mother-son rela- dysfunctional relationships. Totally. Uh, and then the way the scene ends with like Dandy standing in the doorway and only his underwear covered in blood. So he, he somehow he get, yeah. he like got all the way back to the house, just covered in blood in his underwear, like just like walked back through the woods and stuff like that. Yep. So clearly he, uh, he's just gonna run back to mommy every time this happens. And Gloria is going to. I, Dandy's just in his Halloween costume, so don't worry about him. Oh yeah, he's uh, he just been yeah, playing Gloria, in the Gloria, yeah. Gloria is looking for validation as a mother because mm-hmm. she thinks she screwed up, but I don't think that's going to change her. And I'm pretty sure you don't think it'll change her now either. No, and that was pretty. That was a pretty like pretty blood, pretty chilling scene when he just shows up behind Oof. her, all covered in blood. Um, do you think that Gloria is going to continue enabling Dandy? I think she'll enable, and then I think ultimately she'll try to do something good, maybe. But then. She'll maybe pay the price for it, I, meaning she'll die. I think the the end for them, one of them is going to kill the other. I don't know if Dandy is going to kill his mother or if mother mm. is going to kill Dandy, but I'm predicting that right. now one of them is going to kill the other one. Right. Are you thinking about this the entire time I watched this uh, this season? With obviously right now, apparently this is Jessica Lange's last season. Who will be the one to take over and be kind of like Queen Bee? After Jessica Lange leaves. Obviously, Frances Conway's great. Angela Bassett's fantastic. Kathy Bates is now in the mix, too. Sarah Paulson. I'm always thinking about that. Sarah Paulson. Yep. Anyway, we can talk about that later. That's, like, maybe end of the season discussion. That will be... Yeah, that's a big thing to think about, too. I... I don't know. I'm I'm inclined to think maybe Sarah Paulson, because she's a four-season veteran at this point, too, but... Absolutely. But then, again, so is Frances Conroy. So it could be either one of mm-hmm. them. Um I, I would love to see. Anyway. I would love to see a season with Frances Conroy as the primary uh, character. She's so good, and then she can finally get her Emmy too because she deserves one. Jessica Lange, I'd like totally. as well, but Frances Conroy, she's yes, been she's spectacular. Um, so speaking of Elsa, anyway. uh, let's talk yes. about her for a few minutes. Um, Dennis O'Hare, uh, Mister Spencer, um, goes to meet Elsa in her tent and. They have an interesting discussion here where he kind of gives this whole speech. Like, clearly, he, he knows that she wants to be a star. So he gives her this whole speech about how he's from Hollywood, the land of dreams. And then he makes the fatal mistake of saying he's from a television network. Pitching TV, yeah. <laughs> Which uh, Elsa says she would rather be boiled in oil than be on television. And I was just thinking this whole time, like, she's awful picky for just, you know, crying in the past yeah. three episodes about not having any opportunities except being on stage at a freak show. Um, right. She says, I think TV TV is like the death of art. I was like, is that a commentary? I want to know what you thought about that. Oh, yeah. Motion pictures are the expression of our souls. TV is the death of art. Well, I think that it was, you know, it's supposed to be kind of ironic because clearly... We're watching TV. Well, we're watching TV and clearly these days, it's almost, you know, we keep hearing how now we're in the golden age of TV and how, you know, all the... Yep. All these movie, former movie stars, including Francis Conroy, and, or sorry, including Jessica Lange. Jessica Lange. Um, Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm. All these movie stars are doing, and Kathy Bates, obviously, are do, Kathy Bates, are now Emma Roberts. are now doing television. And so I think that's kind of part of the irony is that like TV now is almost bigger than is is, is yep like, movies right. And so I think that was kind of supposed to be or the stage kind of a I like yeah. tongue in cheek. You're of right. Thing. You're right. Um, but I think I mean it's interesting to think back then though because you know all they had with TV was black and white. You know little boxes at that point and even though you could reach a much wider audience there's still much more glamour and it was still much more an event when everybody you know went out to the movie theater and so right these days it's podcasts that's right podcasts are going to overtake tv soon and we're going to be the stars wink and so um she basically tells stanley that she's not interested in doing tv which i i think that maybe she was just playing hard to get at this point you know it, but clearly she's a little bit delusional so Maybe yeah. she thinks that a different TV, like a different movie producer is going to come and pick her up instead. Like all these movie and TV producers are just going to be showing up at the freak show all the time. Um, pretty soon we see Elsa, you know, the, the show, we have a full packed house because of the 
people Jimmy brought in. And Elsa is singing her Life on Mars song again. And again, it just goes terribly. Um, some pretty poor behaved uh, people. In the well, that's what I was going to ask. Is this in her head? Is she imagining people are being this terrible? Or do you really think that they're like totally disrespecting her and throwing food at her? I, that's what I was saying earlier. I, I, I assumed it was actually happening. Uh-huh. You never know with this show, but I thought people were really throwing shit, and I thought that was ridiculous and really rude. Was, really rude. Like, like, who does that? It was super rude. I mean, yeah, she's not the best or most talented, but, I mean, she's really putting forth an effort out there. But it's a there. good song, and she's good enough. Like, good lord. Yeah, and you have... You throw your food? You have Ma Petit playing her little petite violin. I mean, that was, that's enough reason yeah. right there to, or to just, like... Throw money on the stage. Yeah. God. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it was a dream. I think she's just tripping. Yeah. Too, though. It sucked. So that is kind of what uh, throws her. And so she, after they throw garbage at her, she goes back to Stanley and says, okay, TV, I'm in. Um, yeah. Which is pretty funny. Um I do want to say that when she does say, I'm down to do a TV, the shot with all the mirrors... With all her faces and the mirrors and the Dennis O'Hare pops in, um, Stanley, or, yeah, pops in, and she says she's in, beautifully shot, and that is, Michael Uppendahl was the director of this episode, and I want to say that was effing cool, that was awesome, there, I love that. There was a couple. A few mirror shots. I was going to say, yeah. there was a couple cool scenes with mirrors, um, and we'll, yeah, we'll, love when we get it. to the next one coming up, I'll, I'm going to, yeah. I have a note on that too. Um, I loved how also right after this she gets all done up to fame um, playing and she gets all her furs ready and she's getting ready to be driven off to Hollywood I guess from Florida um, and yeah. she sees that Stanley's okay. driving off with Bet and Dot with two girls in the back who are they? <laughs> yeah two girls one body so um, he uh this is where, obviously, the title Pink Cupcakes comes from. Um, we have an interesting scene here where we come back from commercial and we're back um, at the Morbidity Museum. And we see a they um, unveil another display that has Dead Bet and Dot in it. Um, because we see that he's you know on the on the picnic blanket feeding them cupcakes, and we see the whole sequence where he's injecting the cupcakes with some kind of poison. And, Which I never know why they don't just cook it with the poison instead of injecting it. But maybe he's not a very good baker, and he didn't think they would turn out very well. <laughs> right. Um, so he injects the cupcakes with poison, uh, and Dot's clearly a little bit. Like, suspicious. why would he just stick it in their arm? But um, we see Bet start choking and foaming at the mouth, and we see. And again, I already asked you this question, so I'll give you my answer. At this point, I did think that was real. Because it was like a weird, choppy kind of sequence here. And I thought, it, at, at first I thought it was real when, when Bet started choking. Uh, but when we see them in bed, as like, Bet is dead and like her corpse is laying there next like to dying. Dot. yeah. Ugh. That was gross and kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, and she's like begging him to do something and he ends up suffocating her. That was, um... That was pretty gruesome. But then we realized that this is all just in his mind again. He's just fantasizing again about the... But what's interesting here is he's not just fantasizing about, you know, the money or, like, getting him in the display. He's, like, fantasizing about all the details about actually killing them, which makes Stanley a little bit darker than we might have thought he was originally. He's He's turned into a much more of a villain. Yeah, not just kind of a you know a villain that wants to to walk away with them, but like a villain like who, a fun villain, a bad villain. a villain who wants to slaughter some people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but luckily, in the real world, Dot says, uh, "No, we're watching our figure. No cupcakes for us." So that plan was yeah. pretty easily averted. <laughs> I really like when it, once it came clear that this was just uh, an, uh, a delusional uh, fantasy. I was like, okay, that was really cheap ploy on us i didn't like that at all no i was kind of pissed off well also at that point it's hell like, he's like they're on a picnic somewhere he could have just taken the needle and like stabbed him with it and... exactly exactly I, I don't know it's just what was the, I, what do you I need poison like they... at that point i mean maybe he doesn't want to damage the specimen right. or something like that but he could have still i'm well, pretty sure he could have killed them pretty easy it was like 12 minutes of the 45 minutes i feel like they needed 12 minutes to fail and they're like let's make a dream sequence <laughs> Oh, I, I I hate the dream sequence ploy, and so yeah. I agree with you. Like I, while it was a gruesome scene to to watch, I I was not a fan of that yeah. trick. 
Oh, a dirty trick. Yeah. Um, so that cheap. They end up getting taken back, and that's where we get the great mirror scene where Elsa comes in, and we have Bet and Dot each in a different mirror. Uh, that was kind of awesome. That was awesome. And you know, Bet, Bet and Dot are talking about you know, Bet's saying to Dot like, "Why are you hesitating about going to a TV show? It's going to be great for us." And Elsa comes in and says how she's going to mentor them um, because she's having her own show as well, and she's arranged a private <laughs> fitting for them the next day. Uh, yep. Of course, her. They finally, we finally see their telepathy again. We do, which we haven't seen in a while. True, we do see them kind of uh, share thoughts at that point in time. Um, but of course, as it was kind of clearly implied, Elsa was not helping them out by taking them to a fitting. She was taking them to Gloria's the house. Mutts. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of tying tying these plots back together a little bit now because they've been separate for a while. Well, I mean, we had Jimmy run into the them at the. Uh, in the woods last initially but um yeah kind of bringing things full circle from you know the beginning when they wanted to buy bet when Gloria wanted to buy bet and dot um way back when because Dandy wanted them as toys and so right you know this was obviously our big cliffhanger in this scene so we're for the whole episode where do you think we're going to go from here as far as bet and dot being at Dandy's house I mean, we're gonna see him try to exploit them. We're gonna try to see. We're gonna see what he does with them, like he did with Twisty. But Bat and Dot are a lot different than Twisty was, obviously. So they're gonna put up. It reminds me of when um, Sarah Paulson's character uh, Lana mm-hmm. in um, Asylum escaped for a bit with um, Threadson. Mm-hmm. And she's a captive, so she'll she'll be a captive. It seems like just a different kind. And of she'll captive. end it back up at the freak show, <laughs> right? Yes, um, I think you're probably right about that too. So let's talk about um, Desiree for a minute now. I I gotta say, as we go into this, I think this is hands down uh, Angela Bassett's episode. She kills it. She's amazing. Her storyline is fantastic, and this this is her episode. Yeah. Uh, well, so before we actually talk about Angela Bassett and, or Desiree, we're going to lead up to it first. Um, okay. Jimmy's rehearsing his act, juggling with his, you know, like yep. reciting his lobster man hands lines, when Esmeralda kind of sneaks up on him and um, asks to read his palms. Flirts. Is flirting. And she reads his palms to tell his future, and she says, you know, um, a man is coming, he's a liar, stay away from him, don't believe anything he says, you should go to New York. Who do you think it is? Clearly she's describing Stanley. So she's like, she is trying yeah. to save, <laughs> excuse me, she's trying to save Jimmy, trying to warn him. But then when he leans she cares in, about him. she does. But when she he leans in to kiss her, she shies away. Question for you. Yeah. Does she shy away because she's still not attracted to him as a freak? Um, or she's still not comfortable with that fact? Or is she shying away from him because she's feeling guilty? She's, oh God damn, you're good at that. Uh, those are great questions. Are you a journalist? Uh, it's all in between. She's wrestling with her emotions. I think it's partially because she feels guilty, but also partially because she's uh, wrestling with the idea that she is attracted to this guy. She's there to exploit them, but she's also kind of feel having feelings for someone that she was talking shit about earlier because he's... Not like she is, and maybe she's even a little bit ashamed of herself, uh, uh, you know, for falling in love with one oh, of these yeah. freaks. You know, totally. Yeah, she she's young, she's figuring it out mm-hmm. totally. And he'd be a handsome guy, she thinks, if it weren't for his lobster hands. Yeah, which I I feel like which of is all, so easy to get over. <laughs> it is easy to get over, and I really feel like of all the disabilities, I'd be curious how his hands work because it looks like they're they're just webbed and maybe like. Ethel's daughter or Ethel's doctor could separate uh, those hands could have separated those hands pretty well unless like they only have one bone that's fused together or something like that maybe yeah Um, or they're just skin that's what I was thinking anyway anyway, Jimmy kind of gets offended and like wanders off and is basically looking for someone else to have sex with and so he he goes to find Del because they need Del to bark the show and bangs on Desiree's door and we see her being super depressed. Um, she's drinking. She's sad and lost. Now, it wasn't clear to me. She talks about how like her and Dell used to have good times, and now th- now that she was kind of sad and lost. Um, why do you think she's sad and lost now? What was different from about f- 
from from then to now? Uh, well, we don't really know. I feel like, but I think it's leaning toward they had, as it's been alluded to, they had great sexual experiences and, and chemistry early on, and now they haven't hooked up in a long time. So she's not happy about that, mm-hmm. obviously. And as we see earlier, he's experimenting and maybe he's not experimenting but he's using his sexual escapades elsewhere right true and so an interesting thing a note on the Dell point then you know we were talking about you know what his sexuality is and clearly they used to have a good relationship and now he has some erectile dysfunction with her but he has not I mean he's able to go perform with Andy it sounds like so maybe that's just confirmation that maybe he is more into men and Desiree is too much woman for him right now and that's why Desiree was such a perfect fit for him is because she looks like a woman on the outside and stuff like that but she had the you know so he could pretend like like a little boy part that he was into it exactly exactly and so she's she's sad because they're no longer satisfying each other so it seems Um, and so She's sad and lost, and um, also is um, Jimmy. Jimmy kind of breaks down and says, "You know, I'm not really a hero. The real hero was Meep. He's still feeling super guilty about Meep dying um, because that was he. He blames himself for having killed the policeman and kind of getting the police wanting some retribution for that in the first place. Um, so they go from kind of both feeling sad to uh, kind of getting it on." Um, with his dad's wife, which of course he doesn't know that Dale's his dad at this point, and right. he starts getting. I was. Re- I wanted this to happen, and this was really gruesome. He starts getting busy down below, and it's painful to her, and she starts bleeding. And um, bleeding. The immediate thought, and Desiree has the same thought too, is that it was because Jimmy like punctured something inside of her, which was like a pretty yeah terrible like. I thought thing. she hadn't been busy in a long enough time that maybe something grew back, but. Yeah, oh, that's... way worse than that. Right. So Ethel takes Desiree to the doctor, and we learn um, that she, you know... Dee had a miscarriage. She had a miscarriage. So a question for you. They, I mean, he said that she was 12 weeks. Were, is it... Do we assume that it was Ethel, that it was Dell's baby and that he was performing yeah. 12 weeks ago? I mean, I do think that... Yeah, I do think her and Dell had sex and continue to have sex is just not probably as frequent as they used to or as good as they used to be right yeah right so so also at this time you know talking with the doctor um she tells the story of her birth how she you know when they were born she thought she was a boy until she turned Mm -hmm. 12 and started growing right um growing her breasts uh and the doctor informs her that she was never a boy, um, that she had an enlarged clitoris, and it's not a penis, it's an enlarged clitoris, and um, basically excess estrogen that made her grow her third breast, but she's a 100% woman, right. which she seems pretty thrilled about. Um, so I thought that, you know, we got these great flashback scenes for Ethel, for Elsa, it would have been nice to do something like that here. I guess there wasn't; it, it wasn't as dramatic as theirs, and so there wasn't maybe as much to show in a cool flashback. But I just think the flashbacks are so well done with like the right. old choppy video that it would have been kind of cool to have that here. I would have preferred a Desiree flashback instead of the um, dream sequences, fantasy sequences about um, uh, Stanley killing. The seal and uh, Bet and Dot. Agreed, agreed, um, and that would have been more fitting too, I think, with this plot. Um, but she, yeah. you know, she learns that she could have a normal life. Uh, she could have children, as she babies. as she tells Dell later. She not only could she have babies, she can have her. The doctors basically said she could have her clitoris reduced, um, right? And she could have her breast surgically removed, and she will just be another normal. She could woman. get a fourth boob if she wanted, or she could just make it four because you know. Having four would be probably better than three. Odd numbers just are uncomfortable. Even numbers so you can ride at rides at Disneyland. Maybe she could just have two added to her back. Um, she could feed a lot of babies at once that way. But 
<laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, so clearly she's like pretty, this is a pretty huge revelation for her because up until this point she thought she was a hermaphrodite. And so what do you think is going through her head at this point in time? I mean, she's redefining her her identity right now, as, as gender-wise. That's that's insane, and that's huge, and it's something that a lot of people don't ever have to deal with. So, yeah, it's 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 a big deal. I mean, I mean, I imagine, don't know what it's like, but it's huge. I, mean, I imagine that's yeah. what I was gonna say. Imagine the revelation that would be at her, you know, whatever age she's supposed to be to like realize that, right? You know. She, You're actually something that you didn't know you were, right? And so, it, but it seems to be a positive revelation for her, and she's she's like, yeah, I'm not as big a freak as I thought I was. And so she goes when when Della arrives back home, we see that she has kind of a bag packed and she's ready to go. And she tells him that you know she's a hundred percent woman and that she's not going to put up with Dell's crap anymore, basically. And um, she's going to go have all these surgeries, have a family, find. A man that, you know, was normal and loves her, blah, blah, blah. So she's going to... Good for her. She's He's kind of abusive yeah. dick who's cheating on her. So she's going to go um, live a normal life. Um, so she, yep. she says she's going to go over and move to Ethel's caravan for now until she gets her surgery. Um, also, we have Desiree learned from the doctor that Dell is Jimmy's father, which she seems to be pretty pissed yeah. off about. Um, or from Ethel. I think Ethel tells her. Or Ethel tells her that, you know, yeah. uh, he's Jimmy's father. Which, I don't know that... Maybe she was just annoyed that he didn't tell her. Why do you... Th- I didn't understand quite why she was so irritated by I think... I think... I mean, Ethel, Ethel seems like a very sympathetic person. So she is trying to... Especially when Desiree is going through a huge, life-changing uh, discovery that she's trying to be there. And also, Ethel's dying, as we know. So she's trying to write things, perhaps. Right. And so maybe, you know, Desiree is... Irritated that you know Dell has been such a dick to Jimmy and has been such an absent father or something like that, you know. Right. Um, and so she leaves him for now. And the final scene we have from that storyline is Dell going to see that really nice doctor that is also the one treating the really nice Ethel. doctor. So he's probably not going to treat Ethel anymore either, who we already know is dying. So that's kind of sad. Um, but she threatens the he threatens the doctor not to do surgery on Desiree or he's going to kill his family basically. And he breaks both his hands, so he can't do it ever again. Yeah. So messed up. I think just threatening probably would have sufficed, but I guess he wanted to be super sure. So, Yeah. Here's what I think about that scene. So I think two things I took from this. One is Dell is breaking his hands, which is interesting because Jimmy, his son. Um, the second thing is I know a lot of people are probably thinking that uh, Dell wants doesn't want her to get her parts removed because he's gay and wants to you know have that sexual beard thing there a beard which is irony too or an interesting thing also because Ethel has a beard just thinking of what a beard means that but. oh that is true that is oh I didn't think about it. that's great but um, I think he loves the power he has over people like he is a very possessive guy and when he has this authority and this power over people like ethel who had the beard and was insecure about who she was and same thing with desiree who has girl and boy boy parts possibly and then even with um who he was in love with andy this guy who was a prostitute he 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 doesn't want he wants these people to depend on him, and when they get mm-hmm. their own uh, independence, he doesn't know what to do. And Desiree just found her independence because she's found her identity, perhaps. I agree, and I think you're absolutely right because I think the facts are now that he knows Desiree's a hundred percent woman, he might not even be attracted to her in that same way he was before because right. it's not the same thing, right? And so um, he likes weak people. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think he just didn't like the fact that she was exercising some kind of, you know, she put him in his place and he didn't like that. So he had to get the upper hand on her and put her back, be, her to be vulnerable again. I don't know that I see them getting back together, though. What do you think? I don't know. I don't think so either. I kind of hope they don't. I, again, Angela Bassett in this episode killed it for me. She was great. I loved the evolution her character had in one episode because <laughs> we wanted something out of her. And she, I, I really like what Desiree's become now. And I'm really excited to especially see if she teams up with Ethel and what they become as a team. So kind of wrapping up here and hearkening back, you know, while we're talking about Dell, we didn't say this before. Did you 
feel bad for him? Did you like feel his authenticity when he was expressing his love to Andy? I, I kind of did, actually. I did, I did kind of feel bad for him. I, he's clearly also, I say this a lot, but he's wrestling with a lot of emotions and trying to figure out what his deal is. Um, Sexuality-wise, who knows? Uh, you know, But also, I think the bigger issue for him is his possessiveness mm-hmm. and his, uh, his desire to have power over whoever he's in a relationship with, which... Obviously, is a metaphor for being the strong man, the the you know, absolutely and wanting that, mm-hmm. and I think that's more of his issue. What do, what do you think? I agree with you, and I think that I don't know that he. I think while he thinks he loves Andy or he loved Andy, I think that that was him projecting the fact that with Andy he can be the person who he really is on the inside, right? And so it's not necessarily Andy; it's the concept of what Andy represents to him right. that kind of made him that vulnerable in that in that way. Um, it's kind of the reality of what is really behind the uh, the mask there, the invisible mask. Anyway, yeah, I think it was an interesting episode. I mean, hell, we've gone for a long time. There's an awful lot to talk about. Yeah, um, I get kind it. of in review. Think that's what I was about to ask. Three point seven five. Oh, you and your fractions. Jesus. I know. Sorry, I think it was kind of all over the place a little bit. I liked some of it. I like that we got Desiree. I like again, I'll say it again. Angela Bassett had a fantastic episode. Um, I like where things are leading. Dandy's getting crazy, and I like that. Matt Bomer was a great appearance, but because it was all over the place, and there didn't seem to be too much of a big theme outside of the standard mother-son dysfunctional relationships and 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 whatnot. I, I give it three point seven five. What do you think? I, I agree with you. There were some good parts. I liked the interaction between Matt Bomer and um, and Dell, and I also liked Dandy was just great all the yeah, way through. Dandy Dandy's and great. Francis Conroy are like so far for me. They've been like the anchor. They're the thing I look forward to every episode of seeing Gloria and Dandy I agree. And stuff because I think they're so entertaining. Uh, they're just crazier and more interesting than any of the freaks at the freak show. Uh, definitely like the Desiree's backstory too, though, and her like Angela Bassett did do a great job with her vulnerability and everything there as well. Um, did not like at all the uh, Stanley Dennis O'Hare parts with like the flashback stuff. There was some great filming there with Bet and Dot in the mirrors and with Elsa in the mirrors. Great, but um, the actual storyline there I have, didn't find too enjoyable. Um, cut a cut about but I'm excited to see. Agreed. But I'm excited to see what happens with Bet and Dot at uh, yeah. Glorious. And also, Stanley's probably going to try to retrieve them from there, too. So yeah. uh, we'll see We'll see what happens there. I think I'm going to give it a three and a half. So what is Ooh. that? Um, uh, six and a half, uh, 6.75. No, wait. Wait. Three and a half. Three and a half is 7.25. 7.25. 7.25. So that might be our lowest score of the season so far. It I think is. I gave another 3.5 before, but we haven't both given the lowest score. I this mean, the lowest score I've eh, given. It is. And I, I want to emphasize that it wasn't like a bad episode. It's no, just, it was it so wasn't, I didn't enjoy it as much as the ones we had. Like, I really liked Edward Mordrake Part 2 from last week. So Agreed. it was like coming off kind of like a high and kind of like a. Eh. Yeah. So. Anyway, I, I, it was still good, and I'm excited to see what happens next. Speaking of what happens next, um, in our preview, we see that uh, Danny's interactions with Bet and Dot, he says something to them about how he would never violate them. Um, all the other freaks back at the freak show are looking for Bet and Dot and kind of are, are blaming Elsa. So Elsa, Elsa's going to have something coming to her, obviously. And we also see um, Dandy... It admits to Bet and Dot that he committed the murders, which their reaction will be interesting. Maybe they'll be the ones to take Dandy down in the end. Mm-hmm. And finally, we see Esmeralda telling Stanley that um, it seems like as if she's telling him maybe she's not as interested in carrying out the plot anymore. Maybe because she's in love with Jimmy. So probably, especially with her with her gone for a while too. It'll be interesting to see what happens in that dynamic. Is Jimmy going to be um, wanting to go save Bet and Dot just because of what happened to Meep? He's going to feel that connection to him, or is he right. going to? Be in love with Esmeralda, or both. I don't know. I think they'll both go after them, but we'll see. Yes. Yeah, I think that Esmeralda will, like, she's starting to feel more of a duty to, like, do good things because she likes them and stuff. Jimmy's our hero now, obviously. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Once, yeah. I say that with an eye roll. Me too. I like him better (laughs) as the, like, twisted, not entirely. He 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 was was such a good sociopath. I think he was best as Wait, Kate. not Kit, sorry. What was it? Tate was in the first Tate, season. Tate, sorry, Tate, yeah, sorry. 
Tate, Tate Kit Kyle Jimmy. Thank you. Thank um, you. He was the worst as Kyle. He was the best as Tate. He was second worst as Jimmy, I think, so far. And then I feel like Kit and Jimmy are relatively on the same level. Same. Right yeah, now. you're right. Because they're supposed to be both heroic. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of the a little bit of a blah protagonist, you know. I will say, um, like when Jimmy and um, Desiree were in the same scene in the trailer, and they're like having their thing. Like Desiree, Angela Bassett is just acting Evan Peterson like under the fucking table, like she's yeah. killing it. And, and he's like he's crying. And again, I like, I like yeah, Evan her. Peters. Her crying was so much more convincing. But she's I agree. so good. She's so good. <laughs> All right. It wasn't that he was bad. It was just the shooting. No, really exactly. Good. That's what. It, yeah, exactly. And Emma Roberts has actually done. She's doing a little better for me now. I like. I'm. I'm feeling her more. I know I was talking trash about yeah. her earlier. She's still great. She's great. I really do like her a lot. But. She's she's getting better for me now. I'm I'm into it. It's just hard when you're with these master actresses. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, um, between Frances Conroy, Jessica Lange, Kathy Bates, and Angela Bassett, they really raised the bar. That's hard. So, I mean, I'd be I would love yeah. to act with them, but I'd be scared to be in a scene with them because they are just gonna show me up anyway. That's absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, everybody. Well, all right. Uh, obviously, you know, we had a bunch of, we threw a bunch of theories there, and then thanks for for bearing with us. It was it was a fun, definitely a fun discussion on this one. I think we, there was a lot of things that brought up um, theories of what's going to come next. So I think maybe this was an episode where you're like building a lot of exciting things to happen in future episodes. Um, as always, you know, we'd let, implore you to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com/slash This American Horror Story Podcast. Um, we also would love it if you would uh, shoot us emails at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com uh, with your questions or comments. We do respond to those, and we uh, often talk about them on air as well. And if you um, go to iTunes and rate us, review us, This American Horror Story podcast, we sincerely appreciate that. We Chris, do where can people find more of your... haters lately. Have we? I haven't even looked recently. We've been getting haters. Well, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Husted. Where are you at, Tyler? I'm on I'm on both at TJ Moss Eleven. Well, now I'm going to go be sad for a while, but uh, no, we anyway. don't. We haven't been getting that many. No, 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 no. I'm just teasing. We can use some more okay. love if people want to love. Now but, I'm begging. I sound like Christina Aguilera on The Voice. We just should play ourselves out now, okay? Um, Roll the music, and let's just go ahead and say, until next week, happy hauntings, folks. To the girl with the mousy hair But her mommy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a saddening ball For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools And say ask her to focus on Sailors fighting in the dance hall And the best.